Uh, so how many of you were here during Planting Roots? Okay, remember the booklets that we gave out? Isn't that neat, kind of having all of the messages, the series there to review? Uh, we're going to do the same thing with Advent. So we're going to be handing out those uh, a booklet for Advent, and all of the GCs will get them and be able to go through them. You'll be able to take those and um, go through it with friends or family if you're not part of a GC. So we're really looking forward to that. And you'll hear, hear more about Advent and the plan uh, as time goes forward. Uh, my name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here. I'd like to welcome you, and it's good to see all of you guys. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the seats. We have Bibles in the back. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Version and click on um, Live, and you can, by GPS, download the notes, and you can get uh, all of the sermon questions and notes. And if you need a hard copy, they're on all of the communion tables around the room. You can pick them up there as well. So uh, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Okay, this is Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which by the Holy Spirit uh, spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at Judas, as we look at this series, and we realize, Father, that all of the bad guys in the Bible, that we're just like them, that it would magnify your love and your grace towards us and that we would just see that you are so good and your plans are so much better than anything we could have ever imagined for ourselves. So, Father, we lift this time to you. I pray that you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Uh, Well, welcome to Legends of the Fall, Week 7. How many of you were here for the Coloring Book All-Stars? Okay, so you know, we took uh, 12 weeks to look at all of the heroes in the Bible, all of the quote-unquote good guys, and we saw that those good guys, all except for Jesus, uh, had flaws, and we were just very much like them. And now we're taking 10 weeks to look at all of the villains in the Bible, all of the quote-unquote bad guys, and what we're seeing is that we're not as different from them as we might think we are. So uh, I want to play a little Jeopardy. Anybody know Jeopardy? Okay, you have to answer in the form of a question, right? The category is what we call these people. Are you ready? Marcus Brutus, Mir Jafar, Tokyo Rose, Benedict Arnold. Who are infamous traitors or betrayers? Okay, one more. The worst betrayer in the New Testament. Who is Judas Iscariot? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. Uh, That's what we're going to look at today, actually. Judas was one of the original 12 apostles. And we read in Mark chapter 3, in verses 13 through 19, it says this, that he, being Jesus, he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, verse 18, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, verse 19, and Judas Iscariot 
who betrayed him. Now, Judas is always listed last in the list, and he's always identified as the betrayer. His name Judas comes from the Greek form of the name Judah, which means praise. And it was a pretty common name at that time. And so Judas Iscariot was distinguished from all the others by adding the hometown that he came from, Kerioth, to the end. So Judas Iscariot, Judas from Kerioth. And he was um, really the only one, he was the only apostle from the southern kingdom in Judah. All of the other apostles were from the northern area of Galilee. So from the very beginning, he was already set apart. Now, how many of you have met or have heard of anybody named Judas in your lifetime? Anybody? No. Well, there's a good reason for that, right? His name has come to be known as one of the most hated and one of the most dishonored names in all of history. It's become synonymous with greed and and treachery. Now, no parent who knows the biblical account would ever name their newborn son Judas, right? Apparently, in Germany, it's even illegal to name your child Judas because it would bring harm to the child. Satan is another forbidden name. Go figure, right? I wonder about uh, Adolf. I wonder if that one's okay. Not really sure. Um, this is even most likely why, why the letter written by Jesus' own half-brother, Judas, was given the English translation of Jude, the second to the last book in our New Testament. So what do we know about this guy, uh, Judas? Other than the general call that we just saw here in, in Mark chapter 3, his specific call to discipleship is not recorded anywhere in Scripture. He obviously was a willing follower of Jesus, and he left whatever job or enterprise he had to follow Jesus full-time. But he probably followed Jesus for political reasons, and most likely for personal gain as well. Um, so, yeah, and so what Judas was looking for, he was looking for Jesus to overthrow the Roman authority and to restore the kingdom back to Israel. And so Judas, he was attracted to Jesus, but he was attracted to Jesus for all of the wrong reasons. He didn't want the kingdom for salvation or for spiritual reasons. He wanted the kingdom for all of the promises and all of the blessings and all of the benefits. He wanted all of the abundance that was promised as part of the kingdom. Hard to imagine that, right? It's not like us at all today. Um, So there's good reason also, though, to believe that Judas was the most perceptive of all of the other disciples. You see, unlike the other disciples, Judas was a very experienced player here. And the fact that Jesus designated him of all the other capable disciples, including Matthew, who was the tax collector, to be the treasurer of the group's finances, it suggests that he was shrewd and he was astute. Now, all of the Jews of that time, they would have expected the Messiah to show up and deliver Israel from Roman rule and to judge all of the other nations and to set up this theocratic kingdom on earth. And Judas was probably the first one to recognize that Jesus' intentions were different because Jesus always talked about spiritual things in a spiritual kingdom, not physical things. And so, as I said, Judas, he was always listed last on the list, and he's always identified as a betrayer. So let's talk about this for a minute. There are 40 verses in the New Testament where there's references to Jesus' betrayal. And in each of them, there's this implication of Judas' incredible sin. And after the mention of his death in the first chapter of Acts, he's not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. He just disappears. And it's actually very difficult to find a Bible commentary that records anything good about Judas at all. Even literary history, it amplifies this negative perception that we have of Judas. 
For example, Dante's Divine Comedy, it's this mythical representation of the punishment of the wicked dead, and it portrays hell in these ever-descending circles of severity. In it, Judas is condemned to the lowest level of the inferno, fit only for Lucifer himself. And there, Satan's hounds chew on Judas's bones for the rest of eternity. He's as deep in the pit as you can get. So I want to take a quick poll here. By a show of hands, how many think Judas is or should be condemned to hell? Anybody? A few? Okay. How many think that uh, Judas should be forgiven? Anybody? More hands. Just like first service. You know what? I'm really proud of you guys. You're really a gracious church. Uh, See, there is this other side of Judas' story that we might overlook because of our own bias. You see, I think everyone would agree that Judas was a sorry example of a saint, and we would readily acknowledge all of his glaring faults. But I think we need to take the Apostle Paul's words to heart here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 5 it says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Remember, Paul went around murdering Christians, and he was redeemed. Could the same thing have happened to Judas? Can the grace of God actually be that big? You see, Judas's story, it begs a major question that we need to look at. Why did Jesus choose and commission that guy? So let's look at a few things. First, we see that Judas was called by Jesus despite his flaws, despite Jesus knowing his flaws. You can turn to John chapter 6, verses 64 through 71. There Jesus said, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Judas said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you were the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And also in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, In these days he, being Jesus, went up out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the twelve, whom he named apostles. So what we see here is that Jesus knew Judas, and he knew what he was capable of doing before Jesus ever called him. And we also see that Judas, along with all the others, was chosen, was chosen right after Jesus had prayed all night about his decision. And there's no doubt that the Father answered his prayers. So it was always a part of God's plan to choose Judas to accomplish his redemptive work. Even though he was a quote-unquote devil, which could be translated accuser or slanderer. And so what we see here is that Jesus chose Judas purposefully. And he called him to be with him and to learn from him, and even to be loved by him. What else does the scripture tell us? Let's look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, and when Jesus had raised, uh, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So the first thing we see here, number one, we see that Judas was a hypocrite. He put on a good religious show for all the others. He sees this extravagant perfume that Mary used to worship at Jesus' feet, and he complains that it could have been given and used for the poor, a very good and a very religious thing to do. He saw their practical need as being greater than honoring Jesus. But we see that Jesus very quickly sets him straight about what's most important here. But what I find remarkable about this whole thing is that none of the other disciples knew that Judas would be the one to give Jesus up. But Jesus knew. He knew the whole time. And Jesus never gave Judas up to any of the other disciples. The second thing we see here is that he was a thief, really a greedy pilferer. In, John, in, in verse 6 of John chapter 12, it says, He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, the Greek word for thief there is klepto, you know, like klepto. Uh, and so having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, he didn't mind helping out the poor and gaining the respect that came with that, but he was an opportunist. He was a klepto. Don't leave your good silver out, we're out when Ju- Judas comes around. You've got to be careful about that guy. He's always looking for an opportunity for personal gain. And the third thing that we see here is that he was a betrayer. I already mentioned there are multiple references to Judas's betrayal. But the word betray, like the word traitor, it incites disgust and contempt, especially as it relates to Judas. And what's interesting here about this Greek word uh, betray, which is paradidomi, paradidomi, it can also be translated to deliver or to transmit or to bring forth or to entrust. And if you use any of those words in place of betray, you get a bit of a different connotation. William Classen, in his book, Judas, Betrayer or Friend of Jesus, he found that this Greek verb, paradidomi, used in the Gospels to describe what Judas did, it meant to hand over and not to betray, as it has been invariably translated. He says this, he says that in 59 occurrences of the word paradidomi related to Jesus' death, 27 are translated hand over or deliver when Judas is not mentioned, and 32 are translated betray when Judas is mentioned. And according to Classen, and I quote, not one ancient classical Greek text has so far surfaced in which paradidomi means betray or has the connotation of treachery. Any lexicon that suggests otherwise is guilty of theologizing rather than assisting us to find the meaning of the Greek words through usage. You see, we have to remember that Jesus said on more than one occasion that ultimately it was Jesus himself who was responsible for handing over himself to the authorities. In Matthew 26, verse 53, Jesus said, Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? And the Apostle Paul, he would later put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, paradidomi, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so what we see here is that Judas was the person that God used to hand Jesus over to the temple priest. And all of it was according to God's plan and God's foreknowledge. We read in the Psalms, in Psalms uh, 41, verse 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. See, the psalmist saw the future in that the Messiah would be betrayed by his own familiar friend. 
And in John chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus says, while he was praying to the Father, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so we have here this paradox. If it's in God's plan, can Judas really be held responsible? Can he? Yes, he can. He is. Well, you say, well, how can God predetermine this? How can he set up this plan, make all the prophecies, pull it off, fit Judas in, and then hold Judas responsible? And that's exactly what God does. How can he do that? And that's what it means. by It's a paradox. We can't understand this because the mind of God is infinite, and it's so far beyond our own. But what we do see very clearly in the scriptures, we see what the Bible says. In Luke chapter 22, for example, verse 21, Jesus is speaking in this Last Supper, and he says, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. He says, he's right here. He's right here with me. And then he says in verse 22, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. In other words, I'm going into betrayal. I'm going into arrest. I'm going into death as it was determined. The betrayal and the betrayer was determined. But on the other hand, we see that Judas was responsible because here it comes. The next part says, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So on the one hand, it's determined. On the other hand, Judas is responsible. And it's kind of like Joseph's brothers that sinned by selling Joseph into slavery. But God used it to get Joseph where he needed to be so that God could deliver Egypt and Israel at the same time. And so here, God uses Judas' sin to bring about his plan to save the entire world. And so what else do we see? We see that Judas delivered, or he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and he seals it with a kiss. That's the fourth thing. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. It says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so Judas here, he delivers Jesus over to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver, which was the equivalent of four months' wages. And to make a very long and and interesting story short, um, the temple treasury was used for several different types of taxes. You had the redemption tax, and you had the temple tax, and you had the sacrifice tax. And there's a lot of symbolism here that goes behind the money that came from the temple treasury to actually purchase Judas, uh, Jesus' betrayal. And in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim, he writes this, he says, Yet nonetheless, do we mark the deep symbolic significance of it all, in that the Lord was, so to speak, paid for out of the temple money, which was destined for the purchase of sacrifices? and that he who took on him the form of a servant was sold and bought at the legal price of a slave. And then we see that Judas, he, he, he seals this betrayal with a kiss. In Matthew 26, in verses 46 through 50, Jesus said, he's in the garden here, he says, Rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Verse 48, Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, and don't miss this part, Friend, do what you came to do. 
Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. You know, when I pictured this going down in my mind, I imagined this cold and this emotionless kiss of betrayal. But that's not really what we're seeing here. This was no ordinary kiss. This was actually a deeply affectionate kiss. This is the same word that Jesus used to describe the woman of the city, a.k.a. prostitute, when she came to the Pharisee's house where Jesus was having dinner. And with her tears, she doesn't stop kissing Jesus' feet and and wiping his feet with her hair. and, And she anoints him with this expensive ointment and perfume. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus says of this, he says, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. That's the picture here of this betrayal kiss. Now, maybe this is just another example of how good an actor Judas really was. You know, I don't know. It's easy for us to speculate what what Judas' attitude in the garden may have been. But the remorse that he shows later on suggests that Judas didn't have a lack of love for Jesus. And maybe it's at this point that we should all pause and we should examine our own hearts and our own actions. How many times have we actually hurt the ones that we love the most? I know firsthand how it's possible to grievously sin against somebody that you care deeply about. It's possible for that to happen. Here's the fifth thing that we see, and this is, this is the kicker, so don't miss this. He confesses his sin, and he repents, and he returns the money. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses uh, 1 through 5. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Verse 3, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, well, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he went and he hanged himself. Did Judas really repent here? Was he really forgiven? I mean, many believe that these verses here in Matthew 27, that this shows us what worldly sorrow looks like, not godly sorrow, or that it was too little, too late, and to the wrong people. But we see here all of the elements of true repentance. He had a change of mind about who Jesus is, and he recognizes his own sin, and he takes action to make restitution for his sin, and he returns the money, he returns the 30 pieces of silver, and he confesses his sin to the chief priest and to the elders, which would have been customary at the time. He didn't have access to Jesus at this point. You see, we all have motives for the things that we do. What were Judas's motives for betraying Jesus? Yeah, money could have been, you know, part of that, a contributing factor, but that wasn't the primary reason. Judas may have been a klepto, like the Gospel of John suggests, but the fact that he returned the blood money that he initially received uh, afterwards, it tells us greed wasn't the whole story here. But whatever motivated him, the Gospel accounts, they make it clear that he didn't change his course. He didn't readjust. You see, Judas found Jesus genuinely perplexing, and he didn't understand how Jesus' plans could be far better than his own. And so at the root of Judas' betrayal was a belief in a particular kind of Messiah, one that would lead him to a prosperous future. You know, it's not unlike many churches or, or many people today. 
He couldn't accept that a suffering servant who bears the sin of others and who lays down his life in order to conquer death. And the fact is, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that what Jesus came to do, it's not easily believed by us today either. I mean, who really wins through self-sacrifice? Who would want to trade in his or her plans and submit to the plans of this God-King's new plan? I mean, who actually says, first shall be last and the last shall be first? Do we really believe that? So what was Judas' biggest problem? What was it? It's the same problem that you and I have. It was unbelief. Unbelief. It was a lack of trust in Jesus by not believing that his kingdom was the best thing that could ever happen in his life. He couldn't see it, and so he didn't believe it. He chose his own path based on his own understanding rather than trusting in Jesus. And even at the very end when he repents and he confesses his sin, he goes to the only only representatives of God that he knows, the religious leaders whom he conspired with. But they could care less. And they reject him, and they reject his confession. And here we see the difference between the law and between grace. You see, the law cannot pardon sin. There is no forgiveness in the law apart from atonement. And Judas probably felt that the only thing left for him to do was to atone for his own sin. And so what does he do? He tries to do that by taking his own life. He commits suicide. He sacrifices himself. You see, the law brings death, but grace brings life through Jesus' death and his sacrifice. And so after all this time with Jesus, and even after his betrayal of Jesus, Judas still couldn't see this truth that Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, was making atonement for sin, even Judas' sin of betrayal. Do we really understand how much like Judas we all are? We need to live in humbleness and we need to thank God every day that our forgiveness is not dependent upon our effort or our performance. If it were, we would all be damned because we have all betrayed Jesus. We've all sold him out for worthless things and worthless goals that we have loved more than him. And like Judas, we have to confess that we have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But unlike Judas, we have to believe that Jesus' innocent blood was shed for you and for me to make atonement for our sin. This was always God's plan to redeem his people. You see, unlike Judas, we know how God's story ends. We know that Jesus came and he conquered Satan and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And we know that his spirit dwells within each one of his children forever to help, to make us the people that God intends for us to be. And yet we still so often cling to those things other than Jesus that we think will satisfy us more. So ask yourself, what are you trading Jesus for today? Maybe it's a relationship that you want so bad and you know that it's just not God's will for you. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's a retirement goal that you've put all of your hopes and all of your dreams in. Or maybe it's prestige or or it's a good repute with other people. You know, many of these things are not bad, and nor is the desire for them in and of themselves. But what if it doesn't happen according to our plan? What if it never happens at all? 
Are we willing to trust that Jesus' plan is far better than anything we could ever think or imagine? Do we really believe that? Maybe you're trading the life that Jesus offers you for life on your own terms. Or perhaps it's a habitual sin that you just can't break. And over and over again, you trade Jesus for a season of pleasure or relief. Maybe like Judas, you just can't see how things could be any different. You don't know how you could do it any other way. You can't see how Jesus' plan could be far better for your future. But fortunately for us, we have access to Jesus today. We have access to Jesus now. We can come to him, and we can change our course, and we can repent. But the questions for us are, are we willing to trust Jesus when life doesn't go how we plan or how we desire? And are we willing to turn away from those false hopes of happiness apart from God? You see, thankfully, even when we are unfaithful, God always remains faithful. Even when we betray Him, His grace is more than sufficient to cover our sin. You see, we can't know this for sure, but I personally believe that this is the case for Judas. I am constantly amazed by the grace of God. So I, for one, I will not be surprised to see Judas in heaven one day because our God is always far better and far greater than anything we can ever imagine. The band's going to come up. And as we do, we're going to go to communion like we do every week. And this is where we remember what Jesus has done for us, His sacrifice to make atonement for our sin, to reconcile us back to God. So as we take that cracker and we break it, we remember His body that was broken for us. And as we dip it in the wine or the grape juice, we remember His blood that was shed for us to cover our sin and to bring us back to God. We're going to worship God as we sing. We're going to worship God through our giving. And as uh, we give, we, we recognize that God has given so much to us, so we just give a little bit back to Him. And so we have offering boxes on the sidewall in, in the back. We're going to worship God through our fellowship in the back. We encourage you to connect with somebody, get to know somebody, encourage somebody else while you're here. And we're going to worship God through, through prayer. And perhaps God's speaking to you today. And maybe He's showing you that You've been trading Jesus for something today. And you want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody about it. There will be elders and deacons in the back to pray with you. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness, your amazing grace, Lord. That covers our unfaithfulness. Father, that covers our treachery and our betrayal. Lord, when we just choose the garbage, Lord, that we think will make us happy over the future that you promise us and the blessing that you promise us. Ultimately, the promise of yourself to be with us forever. Father, I pray that you would reveal those areas in our hearts where we are not believing you. And that you would give us the faith to believe that your plan is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. Thank you for always surprising us by your goodness and by your grace. We love you. In Jesus' name.